0: two mats that's the number two m-a-t-t-s and there's a link in the show notes
1: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up
0: you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax
1: and think about
0: work
3: Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name's Richard Porritt and I'm joined by Matt Withers. Greetings. And Cash Boyle.
2: Billy Navidad.
3: Excellent. How are we both?
2: Yeah, good. Good. Thank you. How are,
3: How are you? we all? How are yeah, you? I'm
2: all right. It's not too bad.
3: Good. And Christmas is looming large on the horizon. Is everyone prepared? Are all the presents bought and wrapped? I'm Uh, taking
2: myself to Ireland and I'm presenting myself to my family members at a socially safe distance and saying, here is your present, my presence.
3: (laughs) My presence is my presence.
2: Precisely. Excellent. Also, you're limited in terms of hand luggage and things that you can take. So, I mean, everyone's getting a card.
3: Everyone's getting a card. I like it. I like a nice card. So far, I've had three Christmas cards this year, all from um, uh, PRs, which is very nice.
2: Is it like, dear Richard, Merry Christmas, P.S., why don't you ever take my...
3: <laughs> why do you delete my emails immediately and never take my calls? Yeah. But there are good PRs out there. Not many, but there are some. Um, if you are among them, you know you are. Uh, if you aren't, I'm avoiding you. Um,
0: Matt, you all ready?
3: Ooh. One, one I, I week think, to go.
0: I, I think I'm kind of there. I'm I'm being, and we'll come on to this. I'm sure I'm I'm being very socially responsible this Christmas and not going home. I've not seen my family in the north since last Christmas. Actually, what we
3: that was that was always the plan, though, wasn't it? What's well, Christmas? Well, they didn't well, really want you back.
0: One thing and another over, over the past. Uh, <laughs> year. So I'm, I'm I'm not going. I'm not going to stay in London this uh, this Christmas. So I've been doing um, my shopping pretty much solely online. So I've had fun and games uh, the past few days because there is one particular present, which Mm. I don't think I'd realised... Um, I bought and was coming from the US, mm. um, and it transpires that what happens if you do that is it comes to the country and then they hold it until you wait for a card to be posted through your door, right. telling you how much customs duty you have to ah. have to pay on it, which is which has been all new and exciting for me.
3: Doesn't sound particularly exciting to me, and it sounds also expensive, and I hate spending it, it money. Has,
0: it has the 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 cost of the um of the postage, and the um. And the tax and the money that Royal Mail charges you for telling you that you've got to pay tax has somewhat considerably outweighed the cost of the yes, present. Yes,
3: indeed.
2: I feel like the present's got to be high quality to justify that outlay.
0: Well, uh, we shall see. <laughs>
3: Is it <laughs> a bag of her? I'm trying to think what you would get that you could only get from the US. Is it a bag of Hershey's kisses?
0: You can get those pretty much anywhere these days, can't can you? Yeah? you know, supermarkets oh. have got like a oh. Sainsbury's, have got like a, an American. Have they? Sweet second. Like, yeah, my I'm a, a,
3: yeah I'm
2: a, American one.
3: I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a fan of America and American culture. Not so much politics, but um and I really like Hershey's. But I once any former New European um uh employees who might still listen to this pod who've now left and gone to other things will remember when I bought everyone on the team Hershey's as a thank you, because we did a we did a Brexit magazine at the it was well, four years ago now, and um we worked very hard over five days, and I bought everyone Hershey's. I thought they'd love them. And everyone was like, oh, my God, what is this muck? They just didn't like it, but I really like Hershey's. I think,
2: I think it's really nice. Oh, no,
3: no, no, no. Yeah, it seems to be a bit like, a bit marmite. Anyway, enough of this Christmas chitter-chatter from us, because we've got lots to get to. We will do the news. Again, if you are to get news from here, go somewhere else, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then uh, Liz Gerrard is going to be um, joining us, one of my favourite guests, because she could talk newspapers until the cows come on. oh the man's drilling i was going to mention him uh, i am in uh, tne towers and there is some um, we're preparing for brexit we're putting boards on the windows and everything and we're getting hard brexit ready so there might be some drilling in the background i'll try my very best to mute myself when um, when the, there he is when the uh, when the man doing the drilling there comes on um so let's
2: let- i uh, <clears throat> sorry just at this point there's also some background noise <laughs> in my house which I think will end quicker than your drilling situation, Richard. But if anyone hears any kind of what sounds like vacuuming, ignore it. It'll it'll be over.
3: I think. Okay, so you've got the cleaner in. I mean, um, I
2: wish I could afford a cleaner.
3: Lardy da. Lardy da. I've got a workman, and Matt always has the police outside his door. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's not um, quite it's quite stabby around here.
2: We've <laughs> got you covered here. We've got like your sirens. We've got your like industrial <laughs> like drilling. We've got like. Vacuuming, we've got it all, listeners. We've got it all.
3: You know, we actually do have a new European podcast studio, but times as they are means that we have to do it in a different way. So, so you'll just have to, I'm afraid, bear with us, dear listener. You, I mean, if you're listening, you've already bear with us for what five minutes of nonsense. So, I'll probably stick with it. Um, and then, of course, then of course, how could I forget? We have got cash and burn at the end of the podcast. As oh, I, I briefly forgot. I hope you didn't forget. Cash? Have you prepared?
2: Oh, I have. This one is, is briefer than others, but it's it's effective and it's going to be punchy and you're going to love it.
3: Ooh, punchy. Good. Mm. Uh, no. Well, let's talk tiers because um, Hat Mancock was in the Commons and has told us that um, a lot more places in the sort of southeast are going moving up or plunging down, depending on how we look at it, into tier three. And a couple of places are going into tier one Um Cash your thoughts on this.
2: Um, I mean, from what I could tell, only like one or is—is is it even more than one place? Is it only Herefordshire that's going into tier one? I think one? there's two. Is it where's the other one?
3: Uh, some somewhere else in no man's land. <laughs> I'm oh, okay. Just, I'm just I mean,
2: Like my my point, my my view kind of remains the same in the sense that tier one's not really real. It's kind of like a mythical kind of fictional. <laughs> there are
3: unicorns. Yeah,
2: like it's a magical <laughs> realm. Um, where you can only go if you are incredibly rural but the um in terms of like what i think and it's interesting because obviously i live in london and like obviously london's now moved into tier three and um there for me that there's no argument against the need for that clearly the cases are on the rise in a huge way here but what i took issue with and i said to like my colleagues and so on was that did london ever really have sufficiently low cases to be in tier two or Cynically, was it a bit of an economic strategy? Because obviously London as the country's biggest economy. Was there a degree of let's take a calculated risk, get people spending, get people out and about, and then we'll we'll review it, um, as they obviously have done now? Because with Tier 3 here, I think there is a real argument to say that London's cases were always quite high and Tier 2 might not have been the best placement at the outset. But Mm -hmm. in terms of us being in Tier 3, I think it's the right decision.
0: Matt? Yeah, I I echo uh, that entirely. You know, if if we're following the science and we're following the the, the number of infections and the R rate, then uh, yes, everywhere it appears to be as it should be. I, I share um, Cash's suspicions that London the decision wasn't necessarily on on health grounds. Um, anecdotally. Um, and what I've seen with my own eyes, I, I don't think that the, the restrictions were at all adhered to. I've said in this podcast before about being inside pubs and uh, people very obviously not being from the same household or restaurants. You know, I was in a in a restaurant in Shoreditch a few weeks back, and the, the two girls were sat there, and one was asking the other where she where she's living now. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty obvious. I, I live opposite a pub, and on Saturday. Uh, there was a group drinking outside, so they should have been limited to six, and I counted fourteen. And nobody from the pub is going to police that, you know.
3: Well, but but you still have to eat, don't you?
0: Theoretically, and some places um, are much firmer on that than than. Others. Um, I, I went out the night before the the, the change in uh, restrictions this week. Oh my god, uh, were
3: you dancing in Soho? Were you one no, of
0: those people in the Daily Mail? Absolutely I think not. He was. No, <laughs> I was in a. Ah, <laughs> you, were, you? A, a, <laughs> I was, I've not been to Soho for some time. I was in um in a pub in in uh, in my my neck of the woods in in East London, and was we ordered a drink and we're going to peruse the menu. And the the member of staff was very, very firm that she expected us to order food toot sweet um, that said, you speak to a lot of other people who will tell you stories about, you know, winking waiters who will remind you that as long as there's <laughs> one chip left on your plate, you, you're free to sit there and continue drinking. Oh, a winking a, a
2: waiter. Winking waiter should not be a thing because I feel like the sort of the vile misplacement risk there is is, is very dangerous. Very <laughs> will <laughs> become a different kind of waiter and I don't think we want that.
3: Well, so not if you're eating.
2: I mean, is that, uh, there's a whole substantial meal joke that could be made there. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make it. I'm above such talk. But um, <laughs> no, there are um,
3: some jokes that are funny even if they're not made. You know what I mean? And that is that is one of them. That is one of them.
2: Uh, absolutely. Can so, I just so, sort of, oh, go on, sorry. Cash? I was just going to say on that point. Like, I I totally again, sort of sticking with our theme of largely being agreeable with each other. I do actually really agree with what Matt's saying there in terms of you know the situation in london specifically and with obviously like obviously i'm a reporter um as my as my main job and one of on one of my patches in, in 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 romford um i spoke to a lady who runs um sorry in upminster i should say um she runs like a tap room there and she was saying to me like the way that the hospitality industry is sort of being treated at every step of this process but not least this one like she's really really angry and i just wanted to share that sort of briefly now because The reality of the situation is they were told on Monday afternoon they were going to have to go into tier three on Wednesday morning or Tuesday midnight, let's say. And all of a sudden, you know, for example, this lady, they serve cask eels, So they only last for a month, she was telling me. So they're going to have to throw a huge number of those. There were 40 barrels at the time that I spoke to her. They're going to have to throw a huge number of those away. Beyond the fact, uh, beyond that, previously they hadn't done food, but to comply with the substantial meal requirement, they'd started serving food, and now they're going to have to throw a lot of that away. And all with like less than 30 hours notice. So I think once again, the, the, the decision to put London in tier three was the correct one, but should probably have been made at the outset. And if not made at the outset, should have been conveyed in a way that was actually responsible toward an industry particularly that has been so ravaged by this whole sort of the whole pandemic you know and yeah i just basically wanted to share a a snippet of that really because she really got me in the fields because i was like like you know this is this is this is your livelihood and her her point was we have done everything they've asked us to do and yet here we are and i i I think that's an (laughs) underestimated element of this that's really really hard i think most people don't disagree with the need for restrictions at all but The way that the message has been delivered and the lack of sensitivity and responsibility in terms of certain particularly affected industries, such as hospitality, has been really overlooked, and I think that's really bad.
3: It's what has happened to the hospitality industry is absolutely horrific, and um, you know, like you, Cash. You know, I I speak to a lot of these. A lot of these people um, on a pretty much daily basis, and have them for for much of this year now. And, and absolutely, the the thoughts of uh, of your tap room owner there are being echoed. And but it, it's such a tightrope, though, isn't it? Because the more what a government would say is the more time we give. If we were to say, right, we're going to put you into tier three in a week. Then you run the risk a little bit, like when we had the leak, of course, when we went into the second lockdown. You run the risk of everyone piling in, everyone being close to themselves. So I think, I think what really what it needs is some kind of. Um, I, I know that there is there's lots of financial packages, etc., and we've been widely um, uh, supportive of furlough, for example. But there, there needs to be some more better thought out compensation deals I think especially for hospitality yeah. um because it, you can't take you know, I had my hair cut earlier on today you can't take hairdressing online um so if they're in lockdown they ain't getting paid you know and, and and similarly for hospitality you know if they're suddenly through no fault of their own being plunged into um into a new tier or into a new lockdown and I think there was there was a restaurant in soho west i read someone was interviewed who were throwing away they'd bought in all their lobster um for the festive period now you can't freeze lobster for very long um and it, you know it, it's how you know it's expensive um so that is a massive loss yeah. and um i i think they need i don't know I, I think we need to probably to see a little bit more of the treasury and i'm no fan of going deeper and deeper into debt but the, be, the best way for us to climb out of this debt is to is to not lose businesses and not lose livelihoods and to have Keep, keep unemployment as low as possible.
2: Mm.
3: Um, that that is certainly the case. What, what just quickly? What, what about um, as my man starts drilling? What about um, the uh, response from Wales and Scotland with regards to Christmas and have yourself a merry little Christmas and all that stuff from Boris at the press conference?
0: Well, it, it was uh, it was just so typical that it was during Prime Minister's Questions yesterday, so Wednesday, that. Um, Johnson was boasting about how there'd been unanimous agreement across the, the four nations at the exact same time almost that Wales was announcing it was limiting Christmas bubbles to two households and was locking down immediately afterwards. And the Scottish government said it was limiting to three households meeting for one day only and without overnight stays. So they're pretty significant um, differences. Uh, obviously, looking at the same science and, and forming... Judgments around that and, 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 and how humans are going to behave around these, uh, these guidelines. Or, I think, in the case of Wales, they've actually put it into, into legislation. Um, I mean, my, my view on this is it is crazy that we're having this Christmas lifting at all um, when we've got vaccinations just around the corner. You, you know, potentially by the back end of February the bulk of people who are vulnerable to this virus um, could have had the the jabs. Um, We could have a a state that by next Easter, social distancing may be able to be loosened um, a lot more widely. So to have this lifting now, basically because Boris Johnson doesn't want the the front pages of the Mail and the Express and the Telegraph to accuse him of being the Grinch who stole Christmas, Mm. it's kind of like being, you know, one of the... The men sent to the front in the last few weeks of the First World War, you know, and getting killed days before the armistice was signed. There's, there's no need to be doing this now. I, I'm of the view that a brave prime minister would be telling people, reminding people, this is a one off. You know, if we all do the right thing, next Christmas will be fine. And we will give you two extra bank holidays next year. And, and not so about Jeremy out. Corbyn now. Well, yeah, don't get accused of Have you of that signed right? up
2: for the Peace and Justice Project?
0: <laughs> oh, my word. I mean, we could get on to that. Uh, it's, that would make sense. Mm. But he is terrified
2: of the front pages
0: right. of the right-wing press. He is not following um, any, any scientific or medical guidelines on this. Mm. Um, to, to say to people, knock yourselves out for a few days, because he is terrified about what The Express would say, is lunacy. And
2: yeah.
0: come January, when we're going into a third national lockdown again, as seems inevitable, he's not going to be able to turn around and go, well, how are we going to know that this was going to happen? You yeah, no, know, there, wasn't, there was no warning.
1: It's, mm.
2: I mean, it's completely Boris Johnson to prioritise like you know what the front pages of like the right-wing press will say, and sort of the prioritization of like the whimsical Christmas tradition over substantial scientific evidence. and fact, like everything we know about Boris Johnson that just embodies him to a T it's like he would rather have tradition and sort of like fanfare over evidence and detail. That's just him in a nutshell. And you're, you're so right to say that he essentially, you know, is more afraid of what the press will say than afraid of the potential loss of life and the definite loss of life that will, You know, arise from the relaxing of these rules. So really, when you look at it like that, he has essentially prioritised his own legacy again over public safety. And how many times does he get to do that before serious questions—not even serious questions, but genuine moves—are made to you know to end his leadership?
3: Yes, quite. Well, we're gonna we'll we'll leave that there, and we're gonna because we're gonna speak to Liz in a minute. But I just need first to. Tell you a little bit about, if there wasn't some drilling in the background, it would be made very much easier. Um, but I would like to talk to you about two ordinary guys. Matt, have you got any idea what I'm talking about? Cash?
2: Two ordinary Something guys? Something to do with, with, uh, with shaving.
3: that's yes, right. Now, I like a shave. And thank goodness for Jeff and Andy, because they were two ordinary guys, two ordinary heroes, you might say. They were fed up with overpriced razors and fed up with drilling. And, uh, and indeed, they then started Harry's because they wanted to fix shaving. Now, Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they even bought their own factory. And by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products at a very fair price. And, and I can absolutely attest to this, their amazing quality blades are almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. And as you may well be aware dear listener, because we've had the lovely Harry's offer us this before, they've got a little offer for you. So you could have your very own Harry's trial set. This is what it includes. A weighted ergonomic handle. Oh, yes. Five precision-engineered blades, lubricating strip, um, trimmer blade. The shaving gel is sublime. Not only does it smell good, it, it, it's, it lathers perfectly. It is very luxurious. And there is also a travel blade cover as well. So let's get you started shaving with Harry's today. Claim your trial set. It's three ninety five. Uh, that covers your postage. Um, and you can support our podcast, support this fantastic and beloved podcast and get your trial set delivered to you. That includes your razor handle, five-blade cartridge, Foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. Go to harrys.com forward slash European right now. That's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com forward slash European. It is a smashing little set and you will be hooked. Ah, exciting news. Liz Gerrard, are you with us?
1: Hey, yes, I'm there.
3: Hello, Liz. Now, apologies, Liz. There is a man drilling in TNE Towers so luckily you're going to do some talking rather than me because he's in the background <coughs> drilling as we speak and uh, he can't be stopped, obviously he's got a job to do. Um, so welcome, thank you very much for coming. You've come to talk to us about your, well, maybe you can explain the lexicon of 2020, is that right?
1: Um, yes, I, I, it's, it's essentially, It's um, I set out to write about the year of, since Boris Johnson's election victory. And that, grew rather too much and I was when I was trying to sell the idea I started writing our brexit um, barnard castle and it sort of fell naturally into alphabetical order and so yes it's it's a it's a it's a long alphabet of the words that, and the phrases that we've seen this year um, that define mr johnson's year in office
3: and some of them we would probably like to forget about. And some of them, I imagine, in 10 years' time we are going, oh, do you remember when everyone was talking about this or talking about this? So we don't, I, don't want to, I don't want you to go through all of the alphabet here with us, Liz, because no, I would, nice. that would take a very long time. But I would also like people to go out and buy the printed product, which is a double bumper Christmas issue and well worth getting hold of. Um, for, for this article, as well as lots of other great ones as well. But why don't you pick out? Could you maybe pick out a couple that just scream 2020?
1: Um, well, essentially, they're perverse. They're, they're perverse, um, they're perverse uh, definitions, in a way, if you like. Um, so, what do we like? I mean, Brexit. Yes, we got it done. Um, we left the EU um, without a bung for a Big Ben bomb. So that. We know enough about Brexit, so I thought that just a brief reminder of what that was. Um, But then when you think about something, whoops, sorry, I've done something silly here on this computer. Um, Next to Brexit comes bullying. Uh and So this is, there's a lot of it about if you're a former speaker perceived as hindering Brexit, complaints about your behaviour will cost you your expected peerage. If you're a Home Secretary determined to keep unwanted foreigners out, complaints about your behaviour will bring a vote of confidence from the PM who will de- delay publication of the inquiry report censuring you and then instruct colleagues to form a square around the Pritster. You stay in post. The man who founds you guilty resigns. You see, in
3: any other year, that would have been far bigger. I know it was big news, but that would have been huge, wasn't it? But you, I just feel like we've had such a news overload that lots of people are getting away with stuff, aren't they?
1: they absolutely are i think i've I've been reading this morning the um new york times on cronyism and corruption in the awarding of contracts related to um, covid 22 billion pounds worth and it's absolutely horrifying and if only we could carry out such sorts of investigations into our own government in this in this um in this area in on this side of the atlantic but so in my, in my little lexicon, pre-reading that um, NYT piece, so cronyism, corruption, conflict of interest, the art of giving jobs, lucrative contracts or baubles to friends, relatives, supporters and the neighbour you meet down the pub. <laughs> These people can fulfil an entire multi-billion pound shopping list at the drop of a hat, even if they've never made or sold such goods before. They can make ventilators, source PPE, oversee vaccine trials and develop test and trace apps. Now, on a serious note here, it's it, it's easy to turn to people you know when, when you're in time of crisis. And so you go to people you know, even if they're not perhaps the best suited. But then there are other instances that just haven't had any coverage at all did you know that came and cummings wanted to recruit a new generation of spads and they gave a three hundred and pound headhunting contract to a close vote leave associate mm. I mean these things just don't happen they don't get don't get remembered um, another thing that um, do you do you, on on do, do you
3: think liz that <laughs> That the, the, when we have the inquiry into the coronavirus response, which, um, you know, it, it, we're, we're unclear about exactly when. That, do, do you think it should be it should take in all this kind of stuff as well? It needs to be wider ranging than just did we do? Did we lock down at the right time? Did we choose the right vaccine? Did we? Oh, yeah. it, it needs yes. to be wider, doesn't it? it needs to. Be, in fact, it needs to be huge in its breadth.
1: I think it's going to be huge and I think it's going to be very difficult to see how it's going to be commissioned because mm. this government is not going to want to do it. So it, yeah. um, it may be that they think, right, let's have an inquiry really quickly while we're still in power so that we can limit the terms of reference, she says.
3: Well, that was kind of, my, I mean, that was my initial thinking on it. I, I don't know if that is going to be the case, whether they'll just literally try and kick it into the long grass. Um for as long as possible, and, and maybe, you know, sort of hope on, on getting another term and kicking it into the even longer grass, or whether they just bite the bullet and try and control it as much as they can while they are in office and they've still got a few years ahead of them.
1: I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, th- this misspending of money that is, is is ghastly. It, and quite the levels of incompetence are across the board, but this cronyism and which is just a polite way of saying corruption, to be honest, is is something else. Um, and the whole business about the VIP lane, where, you know, sort of Matt Hancock quietly says, well, let's just look at people we know, you know, recommendations from people, rather than rather than bother. Um, to go through the... We, we haven't got time to go through all the tens of thousands of, of possible suppliers. Let's go with somebody we trust. Mm. And the contractors, that. Millions of pounds have been spent with contractors um, doing work that could be done by relatively junior public sector workers um, far more efficiently. All of that has to be covered. All of that has to be covered, I think, by an inquiry, but it's getting the inquiry in the first place, is is the thing.
3: There's lots of um, there's lots of terrifying stuff on this list, although I would say it is it is done with a very light touch, and certainly raised a smile uh, from me. But I think the most terrifying one for me comes under T, and that's trust. Why don't you tell us about your thoughts on on oh, uh, on Liz? Yes,
1: yes, now that that was a phenomenal piece of research that came out last week or the week yeah. before. And it was the it was the, it was the members of the government and there were a couple of others in there who weren't actually in the government that were regarded as um, the most effective by um by members of the Conservative Party and Liz Truss topped the poll with a rating of plus 73% Mm. and she was ahead of SUNAC. Um,
3: It's terrifying (laughs) frankly. I'll tell you a little story about Liz Truss. I was once in news conference and uh, and Liz Truss, uh, and these days most newspapers actually have their conference um, sort of out in the open in the office. It was something that the Guardian's made fashionable and it seems to have stuck around for a lot of newspapers and it has for us. So we were in a news conference and out the corner of my eye, I saw Liz Truss wander across the office. She then, it was a good sort of 25 yards from the from the door to where the conference table was. She came over, stood at the end of the conference table and said, I'm just going to use the toilet and then walked off, <laughs> <laughs> which was good breaking news, I thought. I was glad she was
0: keeping us informed, you know. <laughs> Wasn't it? It was Liz Truss earlier this year. Tied herself up in knots over uh, exporting uh, British Stilton to Japan, a, con- <laughs> a country that is largely, I think, dairy intolerant. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's it it
1: just, it just awful. And, and and Emily Thornberry just tore her apart, didn't she, on, on the Japanese trade deal?
3: It's a very um, interest. It's very interesting. Why do we think the Tories like? Liz Truss. I mean you know I've met Liz Truss she's one of our uh, one of our local MPs as well as um, be, being a minister so I've had quite a lot to do with Liz Truss over the years and and you know she's a perfectly nice affable uh, woman when you meet her but surely that alone does not make you prime ministerial material why do the why do the tories love her so much
0: i think she's had a very easy task uh, hmm. i think she's she's been very lucky that she's spent the year essentially uh dotting the I's and crossing the T's and rolling over trade deals that we already had with, with uh, countries yeah. as, as part of the EU and then triumphantly declaring on Twitter that we have signed a new trade deal with Singapore, that we signed a new detail uh, trade deal with Mexico or another country that we had a perfectly good trade deal with as part of being within the EU that we simply changed EU to UK in. Um, and, and she's been able to chalk those up uh, as, as big wins very successfully. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, she's, you know, she does have a certain um, a certain communications uh, skill. Um, whether she could carry that off to a department where she would have to make very difficult decisions, uh, we don't know. But she's been very, very, very lucky that she's I, had an incredibly easy tasks.
2: She's mm. also, it's just also not that hard to float to the top of the Tory toilet. <laughs>
3: Sorry, <laughs> um, Liz. I want to talk to you new- about newspapers with you, but um, can you can you pick can you pick us one more to give us a, a little uh, one more little taster of your uh, alphabet of twenty twenty?
1: Okay, th- there's one that that um, I think is frightening because it's one that I had completely forgotten about, um, which is Iranian assassinations which I which I have defined as a signal to cuddle your girlfriend in a Caribbean villa while your troops are under threat. Your defence minister sends warships to the Gulf and your foreign secretary scuttles off to Washington to find out why your special American friend decided to kill a top general and risk a war without mentioning it to you first.
3: God, that seems like a million years ago, doesn't yeah. it?
1: I had completely forgotten about that because we've been so Brexited and Covided. Yeah. And
3: that is terrifying. I'd It forgotten. was
1: the first example of the year. I mean, we, we saw how, how Johnson hid during the general election campaign and what have you. But the first example of the year of his absence and silence at moments that really mattered was, mm. um, and he just said nothing for days until he finally said, oh, well, um, nobody will mi- lament the loss of this man. You know, you think, We're on the brink of war. You know, Iraq and Iran are, are threatening our troops. <laughs> and you just know where to be seen.
3: Yes, that was incredible, wasn't it?
1: So much
0: of this um, I've, I've got in front of me here. So much of it feels, as you say, an awful long time ago. It's, it's, it's a very good kind of first draft of history, really. Yeah. Um just looking here, like, clapping. I mean, that doesn't feel like this year. Do you remember clapping? <laughs> <laughs> we all like to make a big deal of be, not just doing it, but being seen <laughs> to be outdoors clapping uh, NHS words. At one point, I think even Nigel Farage put a, a, a video of himself up on social media banging the saucepan. Uh, a man who has literally okay. spent his entire political career calling for the NHS <laughs> to be sold off. It just it feels like a different era.
3: Laughing. Uh, that was fun. Anyway, check this out in the New European because it is a lot of fun. Um, you will enjoy this during the during those endless weird days between Christmas and New Year. Um, you will you will enjoy this. Liz, Well, I've got you, I, I always like to chat newspapers with you while I've got you. So I just wondered if you could what, what if, if you were to pick. So a, a, a newspaper of the year of twenty twenty that you thinks really sort of nailed it, and you can't include the New European; that would be too obvious. Who, who would you <laughs> who would you go for?
1: Uh, the New York Times, I think. Yeah, best for British news.
3: I mean, my my, I'm I'm still astounded by how well the Daily Star has done this year. I think as a turnaround project, it's been extraordinary.
2: Yes, I've
1: enjoyed the Star. I think the FT has been pretty striking. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: I mean it did it did very well on and with regard, I mean obviously with the um I don't want to say windrush. <laughs> that investigation I completely forgotten now, which is financial world. Um, but also on with regard to Brexit, to to get Peter Foster away from the telegraph, you know, Brexity Telegraph, a man who actually knew about Europe and understood it to write for them. Did everybody a favour? Mm, mm. That that was that was really good to get that voice out into oh. into a, into a, a publication where he wouldn't be suppressed or um, sort of. I mean, he wasn't suppressed in that he wasn't able to write, but at least you you know sort of give him proper prominence to to yes. his expertise. Yes,
3: yes, yeah. I think I mean the the FT's you know is it, it, is a wonderful. I I still. I don't, unfortunately, get a chance to see the printed copies of the of the um, uh, New York Times, Washington Post, etc. Very often at all, certainly not this year. Um, but the, I think the FT's weekend edition has got to be right up there with the best, you know, the best newspapers in the world. Really,
1: I think, I think, um, I think we, did we, I'm, I'm, I'm a judge in the British Journalism Awards, and well, so I you think,
3: can't speak, then you can't tell us. I, but I, th- I
1: think <laughs> they won the News Provider of the Year.
3: I think that's right I think they did yes I think they did um, and what about what about the um, the, the the sort of um, mid tabloids sort? Of, I'm always I'm fascinated by the male what sort of year do you think Geordie Gregg's males had
1: um, I, I'm I'm losing patience with it again I I'm, 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 I'm we've had this conversation before I didn't really feel that there was a huge transformation that everybody else identified mm. when Geordie took over that you know, sort of it was a, it was a, um, that it had changed and was more, less nasty. Mm. Um, but um, it's still, it's still what it is, isn't it?
3: Do you think that, the, I mean, they obviously are very proud of their PPE campaign and that kind of thing. Do, do you think that they've become a bit more, I th- I feel like towards the end of the year, they've become a bit more screechy again and... I'm- I think that might it's it's around lockdowns and all that kind of thing. That what you would imagine it seems to be a little bit of a return to where they were. Would you agree?
1: I think I think I think they absolutely are. I think I think the mind you, of course the. um, the, the Andrew was quite a good story this week. You have to give them yes, that. Yes, yes.
3: <laughs> well, oh, they still do, they still do good stories, you know. <laughs> still good yes,
1: um, I think we'll send in gunboats was a uh, pretty shameful. Mm. I know that the I know the, the Express had a similar sort of headline, um, but right. Let's let's just sort of have a bit of um, saber rattling and yeah, it's just.
3: It felt a little bit lazy to me that to be honest, it felt like, oh, we've got the splash. there you go. everyone can get off an hour earlier. Do you know what I mean? It felt like it just felt so obvious and so walking um that i you know i i I was kind of hoping for a for a bit more because i i, I was sort of heartened by um some of the changes i think i I have seen since Geordie took over the mail, but I have to say the last few weeks have not been great. What about the worst? Who's the who's the, the worst? Who's the biggest villain this year in, the, in in Fleet Street?
1: I don't know about villain. I think that the Sun has completely lost it.
3: Yeah, yeah, awful um, splash today as well on, on I Thursday. So I didn't like that the the cold turkey thing. I did not think that worked.
1: I just don't think that. I don't think that they've. I just—I feel that they've lost—they've com- lost touch with the readers. They've lost—they lost the humour mm. under Tony Gallagher, and it certainly hasn't come back.
3: <laughs> he's not known to be a very humorous man, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, for his gags, he's old Gallagher. <laughs>
1: um, and it's—it's it's so slavishly pro Johnson, mm. which is so weird, um, given that. We know that Murdoch wants, would much rather see Gove or possibly even Rishi in there. Um, so I don't quite understand this sort of cult heroism around an inadequate um, prime minister, and I, it's, it's it just it takes the easy way out, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you know if there's an awkward political i mean i know that under gallagher it was said it was perceived to have lost sales because it was too political he was too politically minded but it seems to me that if there's an embarrassing political story oh we can fun, suddenly refind our roots and come up with a strictly or a or a jungle or a castle rather um sort of splash or yeah. that sort of thing it, 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 it um so we can go we can go back to our celebrities and say, well this is what this is what readers really care about. Mm. And this obsession with pubs mm. and it's it's about it it's it's so base level on on the pubs with, with the COVID is that oh I can't go to the pub. Oh it's not fair I can't go to the pub. Mm. It's not what is what is this happening to the entire hospitality industry? What are, what's happening with the jobs? What's going to happen with communities? It's none of that. It doesn't go any further than I can't go to the pub, and it just sort of you just wish that someone with a bit of a brain would think a bit deeper on stuff. Mm. I know it's supposed to be a tabloid, but they've always been so smart. There, they really. Yeah.
3: yeah. I agree. That's the thing they've lost. I mean, the, you know, some of the Sun's greatest hits have been, um, in my opinion, have been when, when the, yes, they may have been supportive of the Tory government, but they've gone after them. I mean, that that excellent purple patch in the early nineties when Kelvin McKenzie went after majors, lot. Well, you know, I mean, it was it was great story after great story and done with great humour. And you know, and your, your your white van man knew what was going on. Politically, at the time, but i i i feel they've i feel they've lost the ability to take serious news and give it that sun shine, you know, that they used to be able to do. Just um, just on that, R- yeah.
0: Richard, I, I think not not just the Sun. Um, I think particularly the Mail, uh, the the Express, which has given up any pretense, I think, of being a, in any way a serious newspaper. Um, and the telegraph, they all see themselves as speaking for the people of England, and it is England rather than yes, Britain. Yes. But but if you look at the the, the polls, particularly the the, the, the YouGov polls, which we see pretty much on a daily basis now, they don't. People people back lockdowns. People realise yes. it, it. You know, three quarters usually are supportive of the measures that are being taken, and yet day after day. You read, you know, you'll read Camilla Tomineau or whoever in the Telegraph saying the British people won't accept this, you know, that the Johnson's making a mistake, that the, that the British people value liberty and, and freedom, and they're prepared to take this on the on the nose. Um, and that's not borne out by any of the polling out there. It's very interesting that, that they, those papers that used to see themselves, like, as you say, with the sun, as being reflective of, um, you know, the so-called silent majority they're plowing a completely different furrow from what the actual scientific polling is telling us about what what the people want to see yeah i
1: think i think on lockdown it's quite interesting the point you make there is that the the polls all say that britain's support lockdown and stricter measures and have done and and and, and there's evidence obviously that you know sort of anecdotally talk you know you were locked down a week before Johnson locked us down because it was sensible. Um, everybody's sort of thinking about do we really go ahead with our Christmas plans and all those things. That, that There is that and there is um, a, a sense of self-preservation um, That's the, and, and of looking after grandma. I mean that really awful don't kill grandma, um, yeah. don't kill your granny slogan from Matt Hancock was absolutely crass but he was actually for once saying what everybody's concerned about they're all concerned about their grants and where the, where the so-called libertarians who write in as you say in the, the mail and the telegraph in particular you know the anti-lockdown people to a lesser extent i think the express because they've got that older readership um, they're not going at it in any sort of logical rational attitude they're not doing it saying um right let's look at the economy here you know so if you read matthew paris who from the word go was saying are we paying too big a price and looking at the whole thing in the round um, it's all Oh, I don't want to wear a mask because it's it's an assault on my freedom. I mean, Peter Hitchens, you just want to punch him.
2: I'm not, I don't think you're allowed to say that. Sorry. Um,
0: no, you but, can very much.
3: You say can that. definitely,
2: definitely we're all, say we're all, that. We're all thinking it.
3: We could get him on the pods. We oh, we could have a celebrity boxing match: Liz versus uh, Hitchens.
1: Um, I already had a Twitter spat with him. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> um, but um, it's not all about libertarianism. If, and the one statistic that they've got in their favour that is not actually used in a rational, sensible way because they're too scared to do it, is that the average age of the people who die of COVID is 82. Mm. And I'm not saying that old lives don't matter, quite the reverse. Mm. But it is right that young people are the people who are paying for this for this and there are other th- other things to take into account and this debate has just simply not happened it's been hawks on one side does on the other is libertarians versus lives you know sort of, and and nobody's actually looked at the whole thing in the round and how you might protect older people the most vulnerable in a different way how you might get the economy working, you know, doling out money and eat out to help out is not the way to do it. Um, it's just sort of, the, it, they just haven't thought it through. And so, oh, Johnson's getting it wrong. Johnson's getting it wrong. Nobody's, I mean, Alison Pearson this week saying, does anybody actually know anybody who's got, who's had COVID? When she herself has said her whole family's had it, it's just sort of mind blowing <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just don't think that the debate has been rounded. It's just been extremes, but isn't that the isn't that
2: so everything since twenty sixteen
1: it's been it changed. really
3: is. <laughs> yeah. It I
0: really
2: mean, is. if I could just step in just and ask ask Liz something about that, because I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm I'm I suppose in that younger person category, I'm twenty nine. So the people that you're talking about in theory that are paying for it would I guess include my demographic. But I the point that you make is really interesting that rather than looking at the debate in a nuanced way, they're just making it this, what I would almost define as like an exceptionalism argument, it's like, we're not wearing masks, it's an impingement on our freedom, you know, this isn't, there's almost this real British sense of, this isn't the British way to to do it, and I don't know, I mean, in your view, what would have been the better approach for people who don't believe the virus has warranted the degree of restrictions that have emerged what would what argument do you think they should have taken rather than the one that they have
1: i don't i I've just say i think that you could come down with cold hard statistics and economics um and look at, at the costs and the effects and how the disease is spread and where it's being spread to and come up with some facts and, and data now i know that you can't I mean, this is this is the lesson, obviously, that they learnt from Brexit, which is that you don't win arguments with facts, you win arguments with emotion. Mm. Mm. So maybe that's why they're going down that road rather than being rational. Um, but, yes, you are in the demographic <laughs> I was talking about. That, definitely.
3: Yeah, she's a real show-off about that. <laughs> she's always mentioning her bloody age, Liz. So every time, <laughs> she just likes to ram it down our throats, the fact that she's young. <laughs> anyway, Liz, an absolute pleasure as always. I hope you have um, a peaceful little Christmas. Yes, <laughs> I'll
1: have, uh, have a very little Christmas.
3: <laughs> indeed. And uh, I'm sure we'll speak to you again in the new year. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, That's
1: Liz. Thank have you. Happy Christmas to you all.
2: Merry Christmas.
3: I love Liz. She's fantastic. And I literally could speak to her all day about newspapers. Um, But we must carry on. And we've got to quickly touch on Brexit because this is, after all, the new European podcast. Uh, Can someone just tell me kind of where we are? Cash, you got any idea?
2: Okay, so this this is my understanding of where we are. The two main issues that we spoke about last week were the sort of the, the divergence point that Matt and I discussed and FISH which were obviously a key part of the three-course media that ultimately led to my thing. So my understanding, and I'm prepared to be corrected on this because there's so much ever-changing kind of like content emerging all the time, but the divergence point, seemingly there seems to be a bit of middle ground on that. So the UK has, in my understanding, accepted the idea of managed divergence, which essentially means that if post-Brexit, the UK diverges from standards in terms of um, regulatory matters set by the EU prior to Brexit, if they diverge from that, they can be punished in terms of tariffs and things like that. So apparently my understanding is that the UK has now come round to the idea that that would be be the the, the structure and the nature of the deal in in that regard. Mm. However, Fish is just still, and again, Matt and yourself might sort of step in and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that Fish is completely still at an impasse. There's no real connect between what the eu wants in terms of obviously percentage of fish caught in uk waters versus what the uk wants to give Um, and also um there's an, an argument in my understanding about um access to uk waters in terms of um eu fleets but again i say this with not an entire understanding of the fish argument because it's complicated and i'm not that bright I don't on, think it's
3: on, I don't think it's anything to do with your intelligence. It's just, like you say, it's it, it's devilish.
0: Matt? On, on, so we are on fish, and to go back over last week, we're, we're tying ourselves up in knots over uh, an industry which is 0.12% of British yeah. economic output.
3: Well, um, more people lost their job at Debenhams the yeah, other week it, than it, work it, in a fishing industry. It employs 22,000 people. That is not to de- belittle yeah. any fishermen out there, of
0: course. Of course it's not. Of course it's not. And, uh, and for all those 22,000 people, people um it is their it is their livelihood and it is it is more than a livelihood because it, it for a lot of them it'll be way of generations life, yeah. of their family it'll be a way of life a very different way of life than that which we, we lead and we shouldn't mm. in any way belittle that other than just put those statistics yeah. there yeah. Um, so what the uk wants um it began by wanting to double its quota um negotiating once a year what the catches would be it's since offered a three-year transition and allow the EU to keep 40% of the value of uh, what's described as British fish, as we said before, fish aren't of any nationality, they've got nowhere to store <laughs> their passports. Um, <laughs> and, and, and as said last week, <laughs> the bulk of the fish that are caught off the coast of the UK are not consumed by people in mm-hmm. the UK, so they need to 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 mm-hmm. go to the EU, and uh, tariffs are going to make that very difficult. What the EU has said is it wants to keep as possible, uh, close as possible to the status quo, It wants some small boats to be allowed into UK waters and the quotas linked to single market access. So there is a kind of landing strip, to use this terminology, that started to be used over the past past week or so, which will probably be um, cutting the EU catch quotas, but in a a phased way. And there'll probably be annual talks and there'll be... Uh, a huge standoff uh, once a year, where Boris Johnson or whoever his successors will be um, will, you know, seek to uh, attract the, uh, the the applause of the, the pro Brexit press and their their social media armies. Um, the EU wants longer term pledges. There's a there's a fudge to be had here, mm. I suspect. I mean, there, mm. there there is on the face of it a big difference, but. There will be some way that those cuts will be will be gradually phased out with annual talks. I, I suspect that's where this this will land.
2: But isn't the issue again with everything? And I, I take the point that there there is a a, land, a landing strip to, to be found. But isn't the key issue time? Because again, you know, obviously, isn't I mean, the twenty eighth of December has been mooted for a date for it to be voted um, in European parliaments. I'm not sure about our own parliament, but you know, the, whatever the resolution may be, it needs to be reached very, very soon.
0: Yeah, I think it, it will, if it's happening, it will probably happen by the end of this weekend in terms mm-hmm. of our parliament, that potentially they could sit next Monday or Tuesday, they could yeah, bring so... them in between Christmas. It's not,
3: and- the, I mean, but we're, we're, our parliament mm-hmm. is much more flexible. I mean, we, we could we could get this through in a day probably if the will was there, but, but for the EU... I mean this is there's 27 nations you know what I mean this is going to be I mean, I I have been I know we spoke last week and I'm still convinced that there is a way to extend it and I, I had a little chat with someone and um who who's a little a little bit in the know and their response was that there there is uh, uh, there is a possibility a slot a slim possibility of an of an extension beyond december the 31st but it couldn't be done it'd have to be done outside eu law which makes it very very tricky of course
2: is but, this like a brandon lewis scenario like breaking international law in a very limited and specific no, it, way is that, yeah. that where we're going to end up like it's perhaps it's, 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 it's i really mean it would
3: it would have to be agreed by both by both sides mm. um, and it would have to be um i've made some ter- ter- terrible terrible short notes here Oh, oh, there's some there's some suggestion that we could somehow reuse Article 50 as well, but I don't I didn't quite follow that. But the, but there is a suggestion that it could be there could be there could be the suggestion of a slight extension, and that would perhaps then be have to be have to be go through some kind of court system or maybe challenged in court, and that time period would give them a sort of unofficial extension. But for anyone to go down that route, they would have to be very, 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 very close to a deal Yeah. on December the 31st. There would have to be
2: an extension with a guarantee that a deal will be reached. No deal, I think, at that point would have to be off the table. Um, I think
3: that both parties would have to be very, you know, 99.999% certain that, the, that there was not going to be a no deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, could we call so,
2: like, you mentioned unofficial before. We could call it the unofficial extension.
3: <laughs>
0: yes no we, we won't call it that
2: Whoa. <laughs> but it's oh,
3: goodness me Brexit oh, whatever next whatever next uh, well we will see um, right uh, I guess we should take a little breather fill up our coffee cups and then do cash and burn
2: from true crime to football Brexit to folklore for more great podcasts from Archant head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant
3: Welcome back. Right then, let's get straight to it. Cash and Burn, take it away.
2: Okay, so Cash and Burn this week is, um, it's not really, it's its not political, I'll be honest, but it is a callback to something we discussed in a previous podcast and something that I think makes all three of us feel quite politically charged. And it is, well, the, the, the villain specifically is the person at the BBC who greenlit the decision to do <laughs> Brown's, Bo- Mrs. Brown's Boy specials until 2026. Oh, I saw that last night God. and I thought that is, I mean, I already, I had another idea for my villain of the week, but I- it- this trumped it immediately. I was like, I don't care. I mean, I know we're a Brexit podcast and you know, if it helps, we can frame Brendan Carl as a massive Brexiteer if that would help people. But like ultimately the person at the BBC who greenlit that decision just is my villain of the week because really 2020 has already been terrible. This is compounding news and just sort of going through the information on the renewal Brendan O'Carroll's interview is just the most like smarmy and like really quite arrogant thing ever so for example I'll give you a couple of lines um, we have a clause in the deal which guarantees Mrs Brown is aired at 10pm on Christmas night or else we don't have to make it so their show is so good that they get that 10pm slot or oh nada so that's the first bit and then he said later on um about sort of the filming experience because they obviously film it in, in glasgow um uh, in scotland so the, when we arrive in pacific bay the hq of bbc scotland we light up the whole place they let us take the place over what is he like the conor mcgregor of like i don't know the uh, anyway i appreciate this may not be a suitable villain of the week for this podcast but we all agree that Mrs Brown's voice is pretty terrible or at least I think that's what we all agreed oh absolutely um, I suspect,
0: listen, I, I, is on you know is there a Venn diagram of people who <laughs> read and listen to the new European and like Mrs Brown's voice I suspect not it's kind of like my firmly held view that there is nobody who owns a tote bag who voted to leave. You know, it's just... A, <laughs> kind
2: of, yeah, I agree.
0: No, there's no Brexit. Brexit means Brexit tote bags. <laughs> so it's
3: just a,
2: it's yeah, just a I agree, cool I thing.
0: So, you know, I, 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 you know, we talk about fishermen and I try to be diplomatic. I don't feel we need to be diplomatic about people who like Mrs voice. No,
2: we don't. I mean, I, I mean, think the Venn diagram more accurately is probably between people who like Mrs Brown's voice and people who are like anti-vaxxer slash believe masks. Are yeah, like unfree-
0: definitely. I mean
2: After if, if, crossover. If you are the sort of
0: person who thinks that um an Irishman dressed as an elderly lady swearing is funny in and of itself, chances are you're not listening to this podcast.
3: I mean, to be fair, though, when you put it like that, I, I think that
2: could be funny. <laughs> oh, come on, it's shite. Like that's like <laughs> I'm really... sorry, I know we're not meant to swear, but I think we should keep that in just to show how emphatic I feel. About... I, I, but... But you see, when, when you
3: then add a dreadful script, a, a non-existent storyline, um, I, 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 I have no idea. I have no idea who likes this. I really have
2: nomination. It's It is honestly awful. Like, and I say that some of my relatives at home do like it. And I judge them as harshly as I judge Brendan O'Carroll.
3: Like- <laughs> so will you be watching on Christmas Day evening then?
2: Um, if if i do only for sequel my sequel of villain of the week it'll be for (laughs) research no i won't be watching it because it's absolutely done
3: who isn't done with christmas day by 10 p.m on on christmas day night because i am i am done done and done again by 10 o'clock
2: and if you weren't you'd definitely be inspired to go to bed by that offering
3: oh my goodness yes I wonder, what, I wonder what ITV have got up against it on Christmas Day night. That would be good to find out.
0: We'll find um, out before next week. In fact, we'll find out what every single channel has got up against missing. That's Brown's what voice. we'll
3: do. We will give you a listing, a, ch- a choice <laughs> from Television X to Sky's NFL channel. We will give you a listing of... I mean, those are the only two channels I tune into, but we will give you a listing... For 10 o'clock on Christmas Day night, so you can avoid Mrs. Brown's boys. And send a very clear message to the BBC <laughs> that they must stop wasting our our license fee um on this nonsense. Oh honestly. Right then. A bit of housekeeping. Mm-hmm. The, new, the, the New European is a bumper double issue. This always catches someone out on Twitter. It always catches someone out in my in my um email. So it's in the shops now. There won't be one next week. In fact, I'm not sure when I guess the next one will be January. So it's a double issue. It's a big old double issue. It'll and... be the
0: it'll be the following Thursday, which yeah. uh, will be New Year's Eve.
2: Oh, uh, I was gonna I was gonna say if the next one had been January, I'd be like, the next time you'll get the new European, we will have officially left the EU.
3: Ooh, maybe. Yes. Well maybe. Oh, I don't
2: know. I just I just wanted that I wanted that tagline.
3: <laughs> um so go out and get it now it's uh, it's absolutely crammed full of stuff i know that the team work particularly hard to inject quizzes and fun and all that kind of thing into into the christmas issue and there's even more culture um than you would normally get so it is, it is well worth grabbing and putting by the armchair for the whole of the christmas and new year period um, bit more, bit more
0: housekeeping. Bit Richard. more housekeeping. Uh, th- there may be no paper next week, but there is a podcast. There but is a will, podcast. It will be no. out a day early. It will be out on Christmas Eve, so it'll be out on the Thursday morning. We
3: we didn't think that many of you, even um, even long suffering fans of the new European podcast, would really want to get up on Christmas morning and listen to us. So we've given you, we're going to give it you a day early on on Christmas Eve instead and then more good news there won't be a best of podcast this year because frankly when I've done it before no one has listened to it um so so but after there next hasn't week been
2: anything there hasn't been a best of anything this year anyway
3: <laughs> well do you know what one year I, I spent a day between Christmas and New Year chopping lots of nice bits into a sort of hour long and I thought it was brilliant and then just nah, no, no no interest during Christmas and New Year um so you can re-listen to an old classic or re-listen to this one again, which has been far from classic, um, but nonetheless. Uh, and then we will be back with you uh, in in the first week of January. Um, so there's there's the housekeeping. Uh, we will be back next week, and I guess we've got to make it our Christmas special next week. I think we've we've got some fun lined up, Matt. Haven't we? We I,
0: I don't want to confirm no, a, no a, a name.
3: Um, but is it the Manic Street Preachers? It, Are they going to do not, it, it's Cash and Burn Street live? For us?
0: It's
2: it's it's uh. It,
3: Shane McGowan.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Cash could do the Kirsty McCall bit.
2: Yeah, because that'll really appease the people that think I say I'm Irish too often.
0: <laughs> we have a good guest lined up.
2: I'll,
3: well, I'll, there I'll you go. Maybe we'll tease that on social media. And you can follow me on social media at Porit, P-O-R-R-I-D-T.
0: Can they
2: follow you, Cash? They can. It's um at Cash Boyle.
0: And can they follow you, Matt? Yes, please. At Matt Withers
3: M-A-T-T-W-I-T-H-E-R-S. We will be back next week. Until then, Mr. Campbell, play your bagpipes. Here you go.